Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of ZK Live. Um, last week we had Stefan from Pro Image. That was awesome. Uh, today we have Zach from Detmore 101. Um, he's, he'll be our first non-painter. He's a general contractor out of New Jersey. So what are we talking about today? I want to talk about painting. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about contracting in general. Um, All right. I'm very interested in organization because I think you you have that down pretty well. Um, that's not my strong suit. I don't know. You were just going on about the clipboards. That sounds like a good situation. Yeah. So I was trying to do my hair when you invited me in, and I was like, crap. So now I'm like, oh, I got to get it right. Now I just look like I stuck my finger in a socket. It's a good look, though. You know. It is. Are you maintaining it yourself? My wife is. Nice. My she, wife's been dying. She's got the sides going, but this just keeps going up and up. I, I heard that you said you're just going to keep growing it till it's over. Yeah. We'll go in like full metal band situation. That's awesome. My wife keeps asking to cut my hair, and I, I've gotten a couple underground haircuts. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not quite, but I don't know how my hair she's so excited too and <laughs> all right so, yeah want, can you just tell the people who don't know you a little bit about what you do how you got started i'm interested I, I don't know if i know the story sure i'll give the the abridged version basically i was homeschooled a term until recently most people didn't know um <laughs> so people were doing that before now uh and what that allowed me to do is sort of follow uh, what I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to be in construction at around age eight. And I knew I wanted to have a business at some point about that age too. So I went to a timber framing school in Maine at 13, got a job working for um, a friend of mine's uncle, worked for him for about 10 years, uh, bought a house at 17. It was a piece of junk that was 2006. It lost all its value, made every mistake. Uh, started my company then doing like odds and ends. Uh, and then it was sort of like right before zero VOC paints um, were coming on the market. And there was like, I think it was called uh, Eco Coat was like the only one you could get. I don't know if you ever used that. I don't know. It. Like this is OG uh, green paint. So I was like, I'm going to make a, a painting business called Painted Green, where we only use zero VOC paints. And uh, so I started that, but like right when I opened the company, like Sherwin-Williams uh, came out with a paint and Benjamin Moore came out with a paint and they all started offering it. And it's sort of, I was just like, wow, this is, I'm not doing anything different now. So I was gradually uh, taking on projects. You know, I'd, I'd paint a house and, you know, people would say, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I was like getting professional with the painting but I also wasn't really charging enough because I was insecure and I looked like a child because I was one and also the market you know was pretty rough at the time people didn't have a lot of money so I was I was trying to do a good job not charging enough and I would get that whole situation where I would charge too little I'd come in the room would be full of masking tape um, with every little imperfection and I would say like Oh, well, we were going we to fix major imperfections, not minor imperfections. That would be like, we have to skin coat all your walls. That obviously wasn't included. Oh, you thought it was included. And then, you know, we'd be like, 
doing a lot of work for free. And I was just like, I'm done with painting. This is making me crazy. So um, basically, uh, you know, started getting into bigger projects. Uh, and the painting really served me well because we always sort of had our eye on the finish. And just gradually, you know, kind of kept get, doing nicer and nicer jobs. And now it's now it's just three of us in the company. And we just do mostly interior renovations. I knew I started out painting. Really? I, I did know that. I didn't know that at all. But I did know that you uh, cared about quality painting. And so that that piqued my interest. Most generally, I would say most con general contractors that I know don't really care that much about the painting. It's just like one other thing. Generally, they care more about carpentry. You know, right. most like most GCs are carpenters turned general contractors. So they love to get into the quality carpentry and then it's like, oh, just paint it. Um, <laughs> generally, you know, there, we have a few that we work for that care about painting. Um, so that, I guess that makes sense. I can tell you that I also in college, in one of my business classes, I wrote a business plan for a green painting company where we were going to recycle everything. Like I wrote the whole thing out. I was like, this is going to be so genius. Oh my yeah. God. And then I had the same epiphany that you did of like, oh, this isn't that special. And I don't think I could actually sustain this as a business. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't special enough. To no. the business <laughs> Especially more expensive to, to really, and the paint sucked for a long time. It's gotten better, but. Oh yeah, this eco cut coat stuff I was talking about, it was like rolling on water. Like I would I was like, I wonder if this like will seal in the toxic chemicals I need to use in this like kills primer because <laughs> it just everything comes through this paint. <laughs> I can also uh really relate to your experience with uh not charging enough, doing quality work and like I talked about this before, now that we're more expensive and we're more professional, we get way less blue tape on the walls. When I was young and cheap and passionate, but didn't know any better and not professional in other ways, I got blue tape all the time. It's like common. Of course, the end of the job, you got to deal with the blue tape. I haven't had blue tape on a project for years now, you know, knock on wood. Uh, so that that is definitely when you're young and not making any they come at you with all of the things that you didn't do right. Exactly. I remember, I remember coming into a job that, you know, I had like one or two halogen lights that I got at Home Depot at the time. And I came in the next morning and it looked like, it looked like the Super Bowl was happening in this room. The homeowner had set up all these lights. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like you could see everything. And I was like, oh no. Yeah, I had the flashlight. When the client goes around in the dark with the flashlight and you're like, wait a second, I did not sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a clause in my painting contract that said something like under normal lighting. I can't remember the exact vocabulary, but it was something like that where I, after that experience where I was like, I can't have this happening. <laughs> yeah. PTA has standards and I believe it's like a six feet away from the wall in normal lighting. Um, if you can't see it, then you're getting, um, that's nice. When you're, oh, that's just like, are you going to pay me to paint something? Like, oh, this is <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah, I was charging like 150 bucks a room at one point, and that was walls, trim, and ceiling, and that included me moving the furniture. That's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, dang, and I think I had a lot of PTSD from those days, and so I was like, well, now I want to be the most expensive, and I had to figure out how. What am I going to do that's going to make people want to pay me what it costs? Um, so, you know, I think it, it was good. Those those difficult times, like, help hold what we do today. Um, I would imagine probably the same thing for you. Um, yeah, I mean, the one of the questions I had for you is, is um, you know, I recently hired um, Lazaros, who, is, who had a, a, a painting company, and he, he was the first sub, first painting sub I've ever hired that did painting way nicer than I did. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty good. He was way better. And, I, and luckily he was willing to, to come and work for me. And, and now we're sort of getting into the finishes and I've asked you questions about how to, how to do that. And now I'm sort of scratching my head like, man, now I have to sort of figure out how to sell this because um, we've done these higher end finishes in some homes. And I'm like, I don't wanna go back to, but at the same time I have to charge more, it's stuff's expensive. <laughs> It is. And and there's a lot of labor that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think samples are huge. Um, like, we definitely, samples help sell. But I mean, and that's the other thing I want to talk about is the social media thing, because social media helps us sell a ton. You know, we're sort of half sold when we walk in the door because they've already watched our process. Right. So I think you could do that, too, is like break down even into more depth your painting process and have like a highlight on your Instagram. That's just like, here's our painting process. Um, you know why I, you know why I don't do that, which is, this is a totally ridiculous reason, but um, because there's people like you out there who, who I follow, I almost feel like I'm like, well, because my page, I'm more geared towards people learning. I'm like, well, why we just follow ZK? Why are you learning to paint on my page? Like, I'm watching his page to show you on my page. Yeah. <laughs> so how much of your business comes from social media and stuff? Is it a big part of your business? It, it is now. It's probably about, it's getting close to 50%. It's been, you know, maybe it was 10 and 20 and 30 and 40, probably 40% now. Um, but the rest is still, you know, referrals. You find that, so I find personally, most of my business that comes from social media is, is a strong referral. It's the client telling their friend through sending Instagram posts versus like, oh, I had this great painter, like hard. And like, maybe you get the phone call, maybe. And then there's, mm -hmm. there's no trust at all built yet. And you go through the whole thing to try to build the trust. Where now, I mean, but we don't, I don't pretty, I don't think I've done a job in a long time where the client didn't already follow us on Instagram and like know what we were doing. Um, it's definitely been awesome for the referral. Yeah, it definitely, um, you sort of have that, that, uh, that trust there that just makes the sales process so much easier. It's not, it, there's less of this. Um, and I don't know if it's as bad with painters, but there's definitely like New Jersey contractors, like we're all crooks <laughs> type of stigma that I have to like, trust me, please just tell me your budget. I'll work with you. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna manipulate you, but there's a certain like, 
Instagram definitely helps. So I'm like, yeah, hire me or don't hire me. You know what we're about. And that, and that is so much, so much better than it used to be. Yeah. I, there's no, there's no better feeling really to say nothing. And that's how I'm, we're at that point now where it's like, I tell everyone on the phone, like we're going to be the most expensive. Uh, we're also going to be the best quality, probably the best experience, I hope. So, if, you know, if price is a thing. I'm not going to waste your time or my time. And, you know, there was a long time where anyone who called, I would do anything job. Um, so it definitely gives me that ability to, like, pick and choose. So so that that's a, that's a big statement right there. If you're picking up a phone and saying we're the most expensive. Yeah, that, I haven't I haven't got there yet. I say we're, you know, we're not the cheapest. We're on the higher end. I, I dance around it, but I'm not like. <laughs> I'm just like here it is. <laughs> because you know, your bit like my business, like painting especially, can get so grinded down. The barriers to entry are so low. Right. I, mean, I started with a paintbrush and a little giant and a four Taurus. And, you know, I, the poor guys who had to compete with me, I'm $15 an hour. And I'm passionate. And I want to give a good job. <laughs> and I'm, like, crushing, like, giving these amazing jobs. Like, no one could compete with me. But I didn't, I, you know, I also wasn't sustainable and I had no money. But, <laughs> right. <you> know, <laughs> I felt, I feel bad. And, and I talk to people now who ask me questions about stuff. And I'll be like, well, what are you charging? And they'll tell me, and I'll be like, well, you're an asshole. Like, you're, you're, you're bringing the whole thing down. Yeah, like, this is not cool. Like, you're not being nice. Like, if you want charity to somebody, give charity to someone that needs it, not someone who wants to save some money on kitchen cabinet repainting. Yeah. Like, ones to give the charity to. Um, but, you know, I also, like, I made a decision one day that I was like, I want to get paid to do high-quality stuff. And the standards like we're just doing such above average paint jobs that we end up being the most expensive. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'll try. I'll try brother. <laughs> <laughs> Leverage in your social media. Like it's there. And it's just like you, like I post, you post every single day, my face here. I am like, you do the same thing. Like, if anyone doesn't follow you, they should. Because, honestly, I laugh out loud just about every time I see you on there. Like, you have... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Your sense of humor is, is a beautiful thing. So keep doing it. But it's consistent, and it's, it's like you, right? It's just Zach. So clearly you every single day. What better way to build trust than that? Right. Yeah, I think... I think for me, I still like it. It took me a while to sort of understand that people were willing to spend money. And even that still like it still feels wrong to me. Like I um, I was selling a job yesterday and um, I came up with an idea that was like $20,000 more than um, what I knew the budget was. And I was like, oh man, like they're not gonna go for this. And then I was talking to a mason to do my backyard and he suggested something that was way out of my price range. And I was like, let's do that. <laughs> Cause it was so awesome. And, and, and like that just clicked in my head. I was like, oh, people are willing to spend more money for nice shit. <laughs> I, I've had that, I had to, I've talked about that. I had that epiphany too of like, 
um, the idea that I'm not my ideal client. Like I can't afford a five or $6,000 paint job on my front door. Yeah. So it's time to start thinking like my ideal client. Yeah. You know, and maybe they have the money to spend. What if I gave them the option to do a $6,000 front door? What would that look like? If I had that budget, what could I do? Right. And I've like, I've been working that muscle of get out of your own way. You're not your client mm -hmm. person want. And as a professional, my job is to give you the options. You can walk me back, but we, I always, I'm, I take pride in like, I know my craft to a level where I can offer you a Lamborghini and not everyone can, but so right. you my a, and you compare it to the other guys, a, yeah, our prices are going to be way different. But we're also doing absurd amount of prep work if required. So yeah, I think that idea of like putting yourself into their shoes more. Helps. Yeah, I like I like the the vocabulary of like of uh, exercising that muscle because it really is. It's it's you have to put work into that because I it's so easy for me to default back to like, sure we could do a kitchen for forty thousand dollars and I'm like what. You could paint a kitchen for $40,000. <laughs> I just gave a price to repaint a kitchen for $40,000 two days ago. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like, well, what do you want? Like that client also, you know, it fits the level of every other finish in their home, mm -hmm. in their budget. So if you go, well, I have $40,000 to spend on a kitchen. What could that look like? I have something. I, I don't. <laughs> I have something at 80. I don't think there's any more value from 40 to 80. I, I can't get you much better. But have 40, like I can give you a car paint job on your cabinets. Like it will be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's pretty good. It's yeah. I, I remember years ago, someone, someone said to me, they're like developing that eye for luxury. And it, it's definitely been a, a practice effort for me where I'm looking at something and I'm picking apart the details and I'm like, okay, that's what, that's, that's the eye and the prize. That's what that person's doing differently than me. That's, that's um, making their project look that much better. I'm not even sure what I'm looking at that makes it look that much better, but it looks so much better. And um, a paint job is really huge. It's like the first thing I judge when I walk into a house. But like the, a good example of it is like you running air machines during projects for a GC, right? Like there's still plenty of GCs who aren't running air. They're using shop facts and clients are just like, well, yeah, you have to like call a cleaner in after because there's a thin film of dust over the whole house. Yeah. But it's toxic. What if I was, maybe I just run an air machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I, I drive down the road all the time thinking about, like, what is the air machine? What's the next air machine I can buy? What is the next, like, thing I can do to be different and add value to people who want quality? They want, like, super customer service. They want ease. They want an amazing paint job at the end of the day. But, like, right. what are those other, like, just put an air machine in the room kind of things that, you know, when we grow up working for other guys, they didn't do it. So we just assume, you know, this, this works. Keep doing it. Yeah, they're successful. They've been in business for years. That's the way to do it. And you got to unlearn all of that to uh, kind of surpass them. Totally. Doing a lot of, doing a lot of hands things here. <laughs> the rave. <laughs> um, so tell me about your how you got in. Have you always been as organized as you are? 
did things like happen that made you just want to get organized the way that you are? And then I'll have, I have more questions after that, but. Okay. I'll, I'll answer it in broad strokes. So, um, I have, um, maybe it's ADHD, maybe it's whatever, but, um, I don't, I don't function well in chaos. I get like bogged down very quickly. So, um, when things are like in their place, all of a sudden I get super, super productive. And when like something is on the floor, I drop more stuff on the floor and it all just converges into like a pile of crap. So I have very like bipolar messiness, super, super clean, messy, 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 super, super clean. And that's sort of my, how, how I work. And when I'm in those super, super cleans, that's when you see like some of my best ideas. And then the messy, messy, I don't really post as much because I'm like, I can't even pull my phone out. It's a disaster. But I'm, I've been like kind of obsessed with organization for a long time and I really enjoy it. I, I like love thinking about how things could go together and how we could save a second by um, moving that tool here or uh, shifting things around. It's just, it's fun for me. And it's also what's allowed me to sort of keep my prices at a reasonable level, but also deliver a better finished quality because we're, we're not running around looking for a paintbrush or running out of caulking or what have you. We kind of have what we need to do the job and um, those things are in place and easy to find. So it's, it's helped me be more profitable and luckily it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I can understand how that would be the case. Um, I, I, I look at it, I mean, that's probably the first thing I saw from you on Instagram years ago was your organization and I like, I'm, I just thought that's not muscle. I've, I've flexed very much at all. And, and I'm lucky I have a team now that's putting those things into place. Mm -hmm. um, but like the, the, the way everything has its own place is, is beautiful. I, I come from a, a long history of just like stuff everywhere. <laughs> just buy, buy more tools and just have three of the same tool and you'll eventually find like, it's just not – I've spent all my time figuring out how to sell jobs for more money than mm. do them efficiently. Um, I think, you know, you can figure out how to make money one way or the other, and ideally you do both at the same time. It'd be incredibly profitable. Um, and that's where I'm sort of turning my focus to now is, all right, we get jobs at good prices, but we still don't make very much money. Let's start to get efficient. And so I look to guys like you, and it's like, oh, well, obviously – I'll just make everything have its place and we'll spend the time, you know, because I think a lot of this, you probably spend a lot of time setting up your organization, right? I do. And, and sort of the goal I'm working towards is, is, is simplicity with, with everything and um, trying to shorten that employee training time and uh, that time rummaging for stuff that people are getting paid for. Because as you pay people more and more, it really hurts you uh, more and more when they're roaming around looking for something or show up at the job site and something's not in their van because, uh, you know, whoever took it out the night before. So it, it's something I put a lot of time into it and I'm blessed that I actually enjoy spending that time. But um, I think it's, it's so easily overlooked by small businesses yet you, you won't walk into one Home Depot, Lowe's, 
Chick-fil-A, you name a big successful business. And they're not just like, these go here today. And tomorrow that goes there. It's, it's always um, labeled perfect, exactly where it's supposed to be. And I just, I know that's the only route if I want to grow. It, it's got to be like systematic. And I'm getting to the point now where we're eliminating really useful tools that, that I thought were important to me um, for tools that are, um, I'd rather have doubles of. So a good example for you is like, I have the big six inch Rotex. Yep. And I'm like, why do I have the six inch paper when I can run the ETS and all these other sandpapers with the 125 and it's all the same size sandpaper. Yet there's this big case that seems very important to me. Yet it'd be quicker to just have two of those stand and I'm only having one sandpaper, bop, bop, bop. And then it just takes more time to hit a big surface, which I'm not doing that many big surfaces anyway. So like I'm beginning, I think when you get into business, it's like, I need this very specific tool. And now that I'm getting away from it a bit, I'm like, eh, let's see how much we can do with this one paintbrush <laughs> and we'll just have 40 of them. And if one breaks, we'll throw it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I'm doing these days. And Nick Slavic, I've had him, he, I had him on. He's like the king of that. He's, he's grew his company to 20 something, 22 painters. And the average painter has like, a, the average in his company of experience is like a year and a half. And the most is like four years. And really? he's been able to do it. He's famous for his apprenticeship program. And the whole way he's been able to do it is he has these incredibly simple systems. He has pictographs for like what's supposed to be in the van. He has a pictograph really? of like everything. It's it's so simple and and I'll talk to him and I'm like oh, that, you, sounds, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's a bit oh he you should you love Nick he's he's just so intelligent and so disciplined while also letting like the creativity come in, but he 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 doesn't want to hear about like oh some new thing. He's like he's so, it's the bar for him to add a new tool paint filler you name it to his process is so high because he's like, I have this thing that's working because it's simple as could be. So if you're going to add something in here, it better absolutely pull the doors off of what I'm doing, not be an incremental bit better because it's going to blow up my whole system. Yeah. Like to guys like me, like I'm like, Oh, I should really do more of that. Cause I'm for a long time. I've been like, what's the best thing? What's the best? Like, we'll just try that. We'll try that. Like when you never get efficient when you're always, doing like trying to find best practice with the best tool um so i like that yeah like like uh when festool released the new midi vacuum i was like oh man i gotta go out and buy a bunch of the old ones because like we have those bags and i'm not gonna go out and have two different midi either i have to get all new ones or all old ones you know it's it's just when you're trying to like find a place for everything all of a sudden it gets all confused when you're like i have one of Every vacuum's like no, no. It's it's got to be simple and. And you found out that the bags weren't the same. Yeah, I was so pissed. That was disappointing. I no, got a. I, I came I, in and I was like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I still am not sure we have actually found replacement bags for. No, I think we finally did, but it took like a month or two to get the bags for the new mini because they were not. There weren't mini bags. They're mini bags, and you're like. So I just bought one of those CT15s. We'll see how that works. I hope it's a midi bag. Oh, it the little, the cheaper one. Yeah. 
Well, if it is, let me know because I had my eye on that. But I was like, ah, uh, what if it's a third bag? Then I'm really screwed. <laughs> yeah. and, and if it's a third one, then I'll, I'm just going to hand it right back. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I've been the same way with the paper, especially because we have such a wide variety of grits that we will use. And I didn't have any money for so long, like still don't, but like grow like when I first got my festival, it was like, okay, which one am I going to get? This going to be the most value. Like many people, I yeah. went RO 90 first because it, it did so which, much. Which is an incredible tool for painting prep. Oh my gosh. It's a, <laughs> I have a thing wheel on it. So I, I can, I'll take up to 8,000 grit with the buffer. And then you put like 36 grit on it and grind right after it's phenomenal it's, tool it's amazing i i don't know why i just didn't see the value in that and then uh lazaros put me onto it and i bought it and i'm just like what what was i doing hand sanding all of this stuff <laughs> we have uh we took the triangle extensions the, you know they have the one that actually sticks out farther and it doesn't have suction and we shaved the corners off of it so it's narrow to get between spindles on uh decks and stuff yeah and just like little things like that you could do anything with the ro90 so when i got it i was like okay i can get an ro90 because that's like one kind of paper and then i've i've never i think we finally got a five inch sander for the first time but it's shop only i was very hesitant um but we never had a five inch all six inches everywhere so at least all the paper was interchangeable right um, because it does, it starts to add up price wise and complexity. It's like, which one did we run out of the square, the, the iron shaped one? The yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. It's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So how about business advice for like young people or people that want to maybe start their own business? What were some of the like hardest things you had to learn? What would you, what do you tell people when they ask you? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think I would encourage people to follow, uh, you know, what their strengths are and, and try and figure out the difference between what their strengths are and what their passion is, because you can have all the passion in the world. And if, you know, like, I'm never going to be an elite swimmer, you know, it doesn't matter if it's my dream, right? And but I'm, I'm good at like, figuring out how things go together. And I'm relatively charismatic, so I can sell a job. And um, that's sort of what's good about renovations for me is I can, you know, find a real mangled house and like, figure out, oh, this is how it goes back together. And um, I think you have to play to your strengths and then and then get specific. My biggest regret in life which i think is going to be chronic because i i get very distracted and i always want to chase a harder more complex job and i think that's just the way i am but um just not being more specific and sticking with the painting company or sticking with only doing bathrooms or sticking with whatever it is um because it the more simple your business is the more easy it is to streamline and teach people how to do it and if you're jumping around um, you can, you can, that, that, that fear that happens at first, like I have to take whatever comes my way. You're just postponing, uh, your eventual success by not specializing. And typically if you're starting young and you've got the support of your parents' basement or whatever it is, 
um, that's a great time to be like, nope, I only put blue wallpaper on the wall. That's it, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think have that, have that uh, you know, don't be afraid to grow, but be specific, uh, even though I'm hypocritical saying that. <laughs> now, I, I, and I totally agree. I, when I first started, it was, if you're going to pay me to do it, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. so every job I was buying new tools. So there goes any property you ever are going to have because I need four new tools to do this project over here. Exactly. Uh, there's no efficiency because I've never done this before. Maybe I did it once. So yep. efficient. it's like, and you don't specialize. So you're not going to get top dollar because it's not something you do all the time. No. So, all, all three things just lined up to be, this is horrible. And I finally looked on my garage and was like, I use that tool once. I use that once. And like, and I made no money on any of these, and I'm never going to do another one for a long time. Why mm -hmm. don't I just stick, stay in my lane? Uh, and that's when I decided, like, we we're only going to use fine paints of Europe. We we're only going to do high quality, and you know, it, it's definitely working out. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, I mean, you're killing it over there, and you're growing because you can you can teach people your system. But if you are like, so here's how you apply fine paints of Europe and here's how you grout a floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Don't, don't do that. But that's what I used to do. Like, oh, we're going to sandblast this deck tomorrow. <laughs> like, rent the sandblaster. I went through like 5,000 extra pounds of sand because I had the wrong nozzle on. I had no idea. <laughs> we were blasting us like thin spindles on a metal uh, railing. And we had like the big tip for doing like four by eight sheets <laughs> we were empty and sand like this and my, my whole career was that for so long just like doing things i had no business doing you know yeah but the big change hopefully for for me it was the the first hvlp i bought i i've only used airless sprayers like with my previous employer and then for myself and i'm just volume 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 i did a lot of commercial jobs and i i got good enough at it and then you know, I was seen on Instagram, oh, it's HVLP, you know, buy this Fuji, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I, I wanted to do this kitchen I'm sitting in because I, I did like a reface of it. And it was oak cabinets that were all gross. And I was like, I'll spray the oil with the HVLP. It'd look amazing. And like, I used it that once. And I was so angry with like mixing and the wrong tip and the viscosity was wrong. And I had to fill it every two seconds. And it's just rotting in my garage. And like, I go up there and I'm just like, Oh, I hate that I bought that stupid thing. <laughs> yeah. But you you know, I think you learn from it. So do you only do kitchens and bathrooms now? So we pretty much um only do projects that involve a kitchen and bathroom. So um we're doing one project that's a kitchen, bathroom, living room, dining room, and then we've got one that's this full basement kitchen bathroom. We put an elevator in it, deck big thing. So um, like I basically the way I say it is like if there's not some complexity we're not going to be competitive any idiot can put like a great room on or a nice master bedroom and we're not really going to be cost competitive because there's no details um, for us to really execute um, on so it's pretty much if there's a kitchen or bathroom we'll we'll do it and we'll do it well but you know just hire anyone if you want like a sunroom edition not there's anything wrong with sunroom edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, speaking to like what what are your strengths? Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, chaos, glutton for punishment. <laughs> I feel you there. <laughs>
So tell me about the clipboard system. Yes. So up until today, I would tell Dan, and maybe I'd put it in Slack, but not every time. That's another problem with this. That's not a system. I would just be like, okay, here's the project. And that one's white dove. And then this cabinet job over there, that's decorator white. And if that's kind of how it goes and it moves too quickly, like you can keep that in your memory and get the job done. Right. Um, but we found a couple flaws in the system when the door was in our shop for like seven months because the first doors came, we painted two of them. The third door, two came from the job site. We painted them because they were here and they just needed to get them to us. And then the third door was the new replacement front door. It sat in our shop for like a week and started weeping sap. And we were like, uh, like, you shouldn't have your brand new door weeping sap. Like that doesn't make sense. It, I think that it was a veneer, uh, mahogany veneer. So I right. think filler must have not been kiln dried and was sap. So I was like, look, you guys are about to pay us a bunch of money to paint this door. I'm not going to warranty it. Right. Door. So months go by as a new custom door is built. So. The last time we had a conversation as to what the paint schedule was for that door was probably three months ago. And right. so, and one door is solid blue of the three, the two we had finished, one door was solid blue and one door was two-tone. So he kind of had like a 50-50 chance as to what he was going to get <laughs> if he got it right not. Which is not how you want to go about painting doors. Uh, Especially the way you paint doors. When it's thousands of dollars and lots of hours. So Sunday, they were, we're delivering them Monday so that they can be installed Tuesday. Sunday, I'm loading them up, and I like notice, I'm like, oh, man, that door is all blue. Something, I called the GCM, I texted him, and he's like, isn't it a bit late for you to be texting me this question? I was like, are they too, is it supposed to be two-toned? And, like, I knew the answer. I <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, it needs to be two-tone. And like, you're like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that's what I thought. What is it for day? Yeah, exactly. Um, Super humid in the shop today. <laughs> yes, yes. So we got it done. But now going forward, um, Dan is not going to start a project. He's, he's going to say, I'm not starting this. If you don't give me the clipboard with the work order that says, what am I doing? What are the, what's the scope? What's the product? What's the colors? And are there any notes? Uh, because like four hours later, after finding that out, I found out that uh, the cabinet job that I was delivering that morning had uh, was supposed to have the holes filled. And yeah, I heard that at the beginning. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, and that one is, I like, mate, I, I, I think I told Dan, but I don't know. And, like, that's not a way to – I can't look at Dan and be like, I told you. You're like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's ridiculous. Uh, way, so, to, way to take ownership for the problem there, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 lots of growth, lots of working on myself. <laughs> uh, but so how do, you, how do you know – like if you've got doors, miscellaneous stuff around the shop, how do you connect what door to what clipboard? So we, in uh, T-sheets where we track our hours, every job, like I enter every job in. So generally by the address um, and generally by like what we're doing. So it'd be like the address, garage doors. So that's going to be like the name of the job 
will be, you know, a hundred Mount Vernon doors. And then that they'll, that they'll just be able to track that all the way through and they'll know. But I mean, on the physical door, like, how do you know, like this, this door is blue and this door is yellow and they don't say anything. Like, do you like put stickers on them or post-its? Like, that's um, more. I think you just brought up a, a, a massive improvement to our system. I can put pictures on our work orders of the raw doors. I, guess. Oh, I like that. I think House Call Pro, which is a, what I use for my CRM, which I highly underutilize. Um, I'm going to try to be creating work orders from my estimates from House Call Pro. You take pictures and upload them. So that's a really good point. Because again, maybe at four people in the shop, even my new system works. But what happens when there's even more and I don't have a picture of which door goes where? Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to have to institute pictures or because not you, you can't always lay everything all the time. Yeah, I've been having that problem with like custom order cabinet doors where I I ordered from a couple factories um, doors with no bores, um, and they'll just put a bore in it because it's the only place they can put like the serial number, and then it shows up and I'm like ah. <laughs> And then I got to like fill the stupid door and paint the back of it because they'll bore it either way, whether I want it bored or not. No way. Yeah. We've been using, we started using the stamps on our refinished jobs and stamping the edge of the door that you don't see. If it's like a lower, then we stamp the bottom. If it's an upper, we stamp the top mm -hmm. uh, because we were writing like with marker on like the cup inside the cup for the hinge. But yeah, exactly. When you have, we just did a project where we found out what this thing going to work and we had hinges that were like the technical term. I'm not sure what it is, but they just screwed right to it and they were small. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, well, what are we going to do? And the stamps actually end up working pretty well. And if you do a paint job on a cabinet, are you, are you touching all of the hanging of doors and all that, or that's not you? So we don't, we're not going to like hang them for the first time. We'll take them off and put them back as we found them. Okay. And I, I agreed to drill holes on a job once, not too long ago. It was an absolute nightmare. And I, I, I did buy a jig and maybe we'll add it. For like poles and stuff. Yeah. But really, like, I want you guys to do that. Like, you guys do that all the time. You know how to do it. You're precise. You have just like. I don't know. I, well, we, don't oversell it. We mess that up all the time. Uh, that's true. Why do you I, think I'm such a good painter? One of the last ones I did, the wrong spot, and I was like, oh, okay. It's not just me. But painters don't know how to read a measuring tape nearly as well as a carpenter does. I still struggle with those little dashes and what means what. Yeah, I, I if I'm honest, like, I have to still like work back and forth off of half. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Less than, that's three eighths. More than, that's five eighths. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, to this day, it's, it gets me every time. So I'll like make a mark and be like, oh, it's this dash, or it's seven from the left. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why I stay in my lane now. And it's, it's easier for me to just go, you know what? I need you to hire like the next one that we're delivering. 
and really pretty much going forward. Like, I need you to hire a carpenter to put the holes in. Um, right. Mostly because I, I don't want the liability. Yeah. Anything I can pass off will. Can't charge enough for that either. <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, when you looked at when I looked at it, I, I ended up charging. What I charged to put the holes in was a significant sum. And I'm like, I might as well. They can pay someone that's really good. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I'm charging you like I'm going to repaint every one of these doors. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, we were, you know, it was just, we didn't have a jig. So, you know, things got messed up and, oh, we'll just bore the hole a little bigger so you have some play. <laughs> Which, you know, looks good when you leave, but it's not really the solution. Yeah. It happens. It does. Do you have more than an hour? Yeah, I got time. Okay. Doesn't it, doesn't it kick us out in an hour? It kicks us off in an hour, so... Otherwise, I was going to, like, rush through because we have, like, questions that we ask everybody. Um, oh, all right. We'll, we'll, we don't need to rush to them. So, six tell foot me. five. What's that? I said I'm six foot five. Is that the question? <laughs> What's your sign? <laughs> Cancer, long walks on the beach. I like wow. strong man named Zach. <laughs> hey, me too. And I'm a cancer. Look at that. What? Are you my age? I'm 34. 34. Close enough. How old are you? 31. I think I'm 31. All right, 30, 31 or 32, something like Accelerated that. Accelerated through life fast, huh? With the whole, because of homeschooling, you think? Well, when you buy a house in 2006, that's pay 150 grand too much for it, and then rent it to Section 8 heroin addicts, you grow up fast. You grow <laughs> up hard. Streets <laughs> of Jersey? That was in Connecticut, actually. Farmington, Connecticut. What part of Jersey are you in now? I am in uh, Littenhurst, New Jersey. So it's like eight miles west of Manhattan. Okay. If you've ever seen like MetLife Stadium, Giant Stadium, that's like I pretty much live inside that. So there's, there's a, a good high-end market there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're smack dab in the middle. There's plenty of plenty of money spattered around from people commuting into the city and yeah you have to i'm in as cheap a place as i can afford put it that way <laughs> but it ain't that cheap <laughs> can you tell me about how you how so La i'm interested in lazarus i'm interested in like your experiences with um, other paint contractors, because a lot of paint contractors are watching on from my end. Yeah, that like, what is a GC looking for? How do you get in with a good GC if you're a painter? And like, how did you find and then decide to bring in house painting? Black so, one. yeah. So first off, painting was always sort of in house because I was coming from a painting background, and then when I hired my first. Um, legitimate employee outside of the painting company um the guy's name was charlie he he could paint but he wasn't a professional painter so there was a little bit more um painting falling on my shoulders then i hired uh brian who's been with me the longest now um and he also could paint but wasn't a professional painter and you know as far as production when it comes to painting you, you know you need you need some time in on a brush to uh 
produce a lot of work quickly. And so then I was just doing a lot of painting and on top of running the business and doing everything else, it was, it was, you know, kind of slowing me down. And, and I had, I had Charlie and Brian, they've done a little bit of spray work on the trim and stuff, but they certainly weren't to a point where they were surpassing me because they just weren't doing enough painting. So um, we were sort of dappling last year with subcontracting out painting and we did, we subbed it and it was sort of a conversation about, we want this sprayed and we want that sprayed. And some of it was sprayed and some of it was done with a whiz roller. And I was just like, ah, it's not really what I wanted, but uh, it was just sort of like, uh, and I was kind of put in the position where, um, I like my prices aren't high enough where I could just hire you. There are people who do really, really good work in my area, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to just get them in on all of my jobs. So, um, I needed, uh, to find someone who was like good, but not offering like the blue ribbon service. And then I ran into Lazarus and a Sherwin Williams once, and he was just like, Oh, I recognize your voice. Continue on Instagram. So, um, I had had him bid a job before, but the homeowner decided they wanted to go with like a cheaper finish because he bid uh, HVLP. So unfortunately, I didn't use him for that because we would have made more progress if I did now. But anyway, he did this job and it was a pretty complex job because the cabinets came unfinished and it was a black and he did a he did a clear over it. And I was just like, I don't even know what the heck this guy's doing. But the work was crazy, crazy good. And um, and so when he started working for me, Brian was um, just about to go on maternity leave or paternity leave. And then I was going on paternity leave. So Lazarus kind of got dumped on with like, here's this half a million dollar project. Why don't you run this <laughs> on top <laughs> of everything else? So he, he kind of started the dialogue about like, we're heading towards painting. And he's like, what do you want to do with the finish? Cause we had had a like, kind of a conversation. Like, are we using your equipment? using my equipment because my equipment was like a little jankety for the type of level he wanted to do so then we started you know talk to you about getting the kremlin and then he basically just figured that all all himself because i was i was you know trying to be home with the baby and um and then we you he i don't know exactly how but he found that molesi uh product because we were trying to match the cabinet finish and um I sort of just let him do what he wanted to and trusted that he'd, he'd, he'd figure it out. And then when, when I saw, saw the finish, it was just like, holy moly, it was, it was like nothing I'd, I'd ever had on my jobs. And now um, it's just, I'm just so happy about it because it's, it's, it's so rewarding when, when, you know, I've been killing myself painting for years to see like a better finished quality come out and I really just didn't have the interest or the time to figure out how to get it there. And, and there's, there's not a lot of painters in my area that are using those products anyway that are out of a cabinet shop, you know? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. And I think that the next kitchen we're doing, we're actually doing a site finish on a new inset cabinet job. So I'm, I'm excited to, to like, kind of get in the groove and I could see heading in the direction of maybe getting a booth and and doing more stuff in-house just because uh like once you see that finish it's hard to it's hard to kind of w go backwards on it it's it's nice <laughs> I, mean, so I I I think I saw you spraying trim packages in 
with the Malaysia. Am I right? Yeah. That, to me, is the ultimate and the high end. It's what we sell to clients. It's, we're starting to get a few more people that are interested. I have some vids out for some projects like that. We've done one where the kitchen cabinets and all the trim are exactly the same product. And I always tell people, like, that's high end. You want custom. Don't have the cabinet people paint your cabinets. And then you give me a sample board and we get it color matched in a different product. And then we apply it to the trim. It's never going to be identical. And it will always, even if you, like, you don't necessarily see it when you walk in the room, you'll feel it. So I've, that I, I've had that exact problem on my last two high end kitchens. And it was, and we painted it, Lazarus painted that kitchen three times. The whole coffered ceiling because it was too gray, it was too white, it was nightmare. Now, we're gonna give you exactly the same product on all surfaces. That's custom. Mm -hmm. and the more we're selling that, there's a couple GCs that are interested in that idea because it does, it helps elevate their level of quality. Um, but there's some drawbacks, right? Like, okay, well, now schedule is going to be affected because before that cabinet was being painted someplace else right. doing work on the project. Well, now I need you to give me two weeks while I paint that cabinet set that's in place. So that's kind of been the, the rub is, yeah, maybe it's a little more expensive and it's definitely more time. But the payoff is amazing. And then if, if you have cabinets come in, and something's a little off, like, hey, damn it, put screws in it, do whatever you got to do, because we're going to be patching, filling, priming, and it's all going to be seamless. So I, love yeah. I think the nice thing about having it in-house is I'm, I'm actually saving a significant amount of money on my cabinet package. Just, I think it was, it's not a big kitchen, but it was, it was something like $6,000 in savings. Um, to get those cabinets unfinished. And instead of me having to worry about pre-finished corbels and this stupid piece of filler that they want to charge me 120 bucks for, and it's just a stick of maple, now I can just, I could add all these crazy features to this kitchen. I, I'm not worried about how much crown molding do I need to get because I can just get that stock at the lumber yard. And um, I'm not trying to pre-assemble this pre-finished thing and put the fancy glue. I can, you know, I can fill that nasty miter full of Bondo if I wanted to, and it's going to look great. And um, like you said, this kitchen, when you walk into it now, so it's the whole ceilings, the same color as the cabinets, all the windows, the pocket doors, and, and it's just like, it, it, it's the first time you, you just want to touch the casing, you know, you want to touch the doors. And um, we did the little banquette area and the kids are just like touching everything. So I think we use like a relatively inexpensive paint on the walls and it's all like smudged and I might try like a scuff X on that or else we'll have to tile it. But um, unless you have a better suggestion, but uh, right the, the trim is hard. Before they kick me off, I'm going to stop and then we'll, start back up and we'll keep talking about this because this is awesome see you all right. all right we're back for part two with zach from detmore 101 um i had no idea he was a painter in his early days but if you watch his and follow his work it makes sense um and this idea that we're talking about of painting everything the same is brilliant so i'm gonna add him in awesome long time oh. no see. 
So the whole kitchen now has a two-part polyurethane, the most durable paint you can put on a surface. And it's all sprayed with the same sprayer by the same guy at the same time. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, not quite the same time, but we did the, we did okay. the ceiling first. <laughs> but at least it's the same batch of paint, you know. Yeah. And the, and the one thing I was, I was really um, jazzed about with that Malaysi, because obviously it was way more than I budgeted for paint, because when I bid this job, it was like 10 months before I had even hired Lazarus for my other project. So all of this was a freebie for the customers. I didn't charge for any of it, but um, was, it was crazy how much, how little waste there is in the Kremlin compared to like, you know, 200 foot of hose in a Titan air, airless sprayer. Yeah. I would have been breaking my heart spraying that down the garbage. Yeah. And, and that's the one, the, the catch with the two part paint is it's more expensive and you make a batch and you have to throw out anything you don't use. Mm -hmm. We, we actually had one day where we were sort of like, this is our milestone. We'll hit this. We'll circle back for the doors. And then there was like that much left in the bucket. I'm like, we're doing the doors. And Brian are like standing. And was like, get out of my way. Yeah. It, it, it changes the dynamic, which again, rate changes the price. Um, mm -hmm. I love that you did it as a free upgrade. That's how I built my entire business is just free upgrade at a time. And then next time you talk to the client, you just like act like you've done it a million times and <laughs> you know what it costs and and you can charge yeah and uh i think you're right about the samples because i have no way of describing that to customers the how it looks different because we in the upper floors we we sprayed um i don't know what it was it was it was a sherwin williams product of some sort and it was just like uh, how pedestrian you know yeah <laughs> And it was like, it's like so much better than the average paint job up there. But it was just like, <laughs> I can give you a few sales tips. This, this is what we use. It's Italian, right? That's like, ooh, Italian, you know. Yeah. Puddings, right? It comes from, it, it's not sold in paint stores. Like those are just two, like gives people context. But then the, the chemistry of a two-part product versus a one-part product, it's always, no matter what it is, it's always going to be more durable because they can't stay alone, you know, to get, once they start the clocks, the, once they mix, the clocks are ticking. But then a 2K poly, a polyurethane has a, this is the, always the analogy of the polymer bond. So mm -hmm. a conversion varnish, which is what would be on standard cabinets is right. acid bond, which is, is good, but it's brittle and will crack. And you can only apply so much mill thickness before it, it fades. Whereas a polyurethane, you're going to get incredible flex, incredible durability, and you can add more mills over time. Um, so that that idea of a polymer bond in an Italian paint, you know, Filippo Berio, is the little things, you know. But we, you know, it's like okay, well then you can compare that to a one part trim paint that sells for fifty bucks a gallon, and you can, you can buy it tomorrow. And, you know, compared to like, oh, I have to wait for this commercial coating. It's more expensive. It has to be mixed as a two-part. Like, you break all that stuff down. It's like, we're well, going to get a much better product. And people are just like, okay. 
even if they don't believe you, like, <laughs> he knows a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. They're just like, uh. <laughs> all right, where, where do I sign? <laughs> That's the client today said that. She's like, all right, good. I was like, oh. But when you know the coding a little bit, um, I found that that does help. And then, yes, you hand them a sample board and go, feel this. Now scratch it. Take your fingernails and scratch it. You know, now go do that to your trim and see what happens. Um, and do you do you do samples like on a piece of flat stock or do you feel it necessary to put it on casing, put it on a door, put it on something? Uh, so I'll tell you that I'm actually guilty of not anymore, not doing samples. Um, I, I, I don't have to do that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> like, kind of don't because they've seen like I do the absurd camera angles and catch like the follow the light challenge where like you can see it yeah uh, but when the clients are on the like thursday i'm bringing samples to a client for that forty thousand dollar kitchen um she wants to see color but you know now she can see it but we'll do it on like i honestly a lot of times i do it on a like two by two mdf square um because we just cut up like 150 of them one time we primed them all and they're all just sitting there waiting for top coat um you know it's super easy we also have random pieces of trim that we've done it to and then depending on the color we'll just spray it over the top of the other color mm. uh, the wall paint we can get into that because fine paints of your wall paint called euro luck phenomenal it's a matte paint uh it's incredibly durable and that sample is i used to use that sample a lot and that's, that paint feels like porcelain. So you can go to a wall and touch the sandpapery wall paint from that they have now because it's full of filler. And then you touch the fine paints wall, it feels so smooth. And then you explain, well, there's no filler in it and it's gonna be more durable and the light is gonna reflect off of it better. You know, a few steps in and they're like, okay. Um, hmm. But the thing is definitely believing with paint. Hmm. See, I, so the fine paints of Europe thing is a is a whole uh, different world to me. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm a bit intimidated by it. It feels a little elitist, and I'm like, oh, you have to get certified. Uh, you, you don't have to get certified. I know In you fact, don't have to, but I'm the, like, oh, well, what am I missing if I'm not certified? <laughs> I'm like, oh, there's <laughs> it's on the wall now. <laughs> it's it's a. Uh, it helps sell it a little bit. Um, it's a great network of people, but if you, yeah, I mean, and you have the sign. So I do have the sign. <laughs> you're halfway there. <laughs> they might let you in just based off your calligraphy skills. <laughs> My wife did that for me. <laughs> I was gonna say, you got too many talents. No, no, got too much uh, on my hands. <laughs> like Bill said, it's the perfect entry level fine paints of Europe product. You can give it to Lazarus tomorrow and he'll apply it like he applies all other wall paint. And at the end of the day, it's a, it's a significantly noticeable difference. And if you buy the five liter, which is like a gallon and a half, the price increase is not significant. I think it's like $140 for a gallon and a half. So okay. $200 for a gallon of the trim paint. Um, it's, a, it's not significantly more than Aura. It's slightly more. I used to sell it against an aura sample board and 
it's night and day. So, so when I brought up the scuff X and I saw that, that lightning bolt of pain across your face, um, should I use the Eurolux? Yeah. Is it, it, because it's like, it's like an oak table here, wall, window, and it's just like kids' fingerprints. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect product for that. It's a great like entry, start dabbling with it. Um, you do one like small project with it and you'll be like, oh, like it's just like the, what the Malaysia is to uh, standard trim paint. Like it's, like I, I sell 2K Poly on cabinets. You know, the cabinet job I looked at today was like Island in a couple accents was like 12,500. Mm -hmm. And it, well, it's 18,000 if you want fine paints. And I'll tell them like, it's a big difference in price because of dry times and expenses, blah, blah, blah. But the difference is really like aesthetics. Like uh, an oil enamel is gonna have a depth of color and it's gonna have a feel to it, a, a richness to it that a, a two-part polyurethane won't. But they're both like super high-level products, but one is a step above if you're really looking at it. And I think the same thing is true with like a Scuff X to a Eurolux. Like they're both gonna probably have very similar scratch resistance. Um, you can't go wrong with Scuff X on the walls, but the fine paints is like one step higher in the color will reflect into the room better. And well, I already put Malaysi on all the trim in this room, so I may as well do the might as well. <laughs> it's the perfect like little marriage of high quality trim without going to fine paints because that's a whole crazy thing, and awesome wall paint to match your trim. Mm. All I can't right. wait with the, your first five paints of Europe, five liter. Yeah, it's happening. Hopefully a gallon and a half does the whole thing because I've got. Covers like almost like 700, 700 square feet. Oh, we're good then. Cause it's, it's, it's teensy weensy area. See the coverage of it too. Like it's just an amazing, I'm excited. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Just send me your Amazon link, your affiliate page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, when I heard you say, I, w I watched your stories the other day, and you were talking about your pr the pricing of cabinets and stuff, and I love that you're just being, did you ever read, um, if, if you, if they, if they, if, you, if they ask, answer, or I'm butchering it now, they ask, you answer. I haven't. It's an awesome book. Um, I I'm think writing it down. Um, I actually was at a social media marketing conference uh, a few months ago, and the writer of it, the keynote, like final speaker, blown away. I was like, I read that book. Um, but he talks about sharing prices like openly in his blogs and stuff about his pool and you know what that does to your sales. And but I saw you talking about pricing of stuff, and then you mentioned that you were going to finish the custom cabinets in house. Mm-hmm. Gonna save you money. And I was like, that's not been my experience. That's interesting. But you have an in-house finisher. Um so I, I can see how I'm still interested to see if it ends up saving you money. Well, here's it's it's bigger than that because it's gonna save me money because I was already gonna go with a custom color that no cabinet shop was gonna offer me, like the big big cabinet shops. So that was already pushing me into a cabinet. Uh, custom cabinet line with a custom finisher. So um, I'm already paying that price to get that color. And so 
now I'm able to go with a custom cabinet builder that that's also a big, big company. So they're giving me more competitive pricing on the cabinets and I don't need to pay for all those little bits, like I said. So I took what was like a, what would have been say a $40,000 cabinet package. I took the finish off. Now I'm down to 30,000 and then I pulled the little bits and tricks out. Now I'm down to 20,000 and then I'm gonna paint it and then back up to 25 or whatever it is. So the for what they're getting, they're saving money. Um, but you know, it's not something I'm gonna run around and campaign on Instagram because it's like, are you a general contractor who has to happens to have an expert finisher at Kremlin and knows how to use Malaysia in-house? Well, this is the project for you. <laughs> and that's pretty rare. Yeah, exactly. But um it is um, what happened was this project, it was like good project, good, reasonable budget, and then sort of COVID-19 hit and it wasn't a house that was really moving ready and, and their, their lease is going away. So it was sort of like, hey, we need to, we need to get this project um, to less money basically. And I was like, we can do that. And I was like, I guess I'll sort of not do inset, which is my jam and I'll, uh, you know, we'll, bop, we'll, we'll make it work. And then I was just like, mm, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this, you know? <laughs> so no. um, if it works, I think we'll be doing every kitchen this way. If it doesn't work, um, I'm never going to speak of it again. <laughs> I, it's going to work. And I think it's a huge competitive advantage. Like, because of what we're talking about with paint and trim and patch. When you can offer that, th that's your step into that next level of like, hey, nobody else can, no one can even offer this. Yeah, and I, and I think another way it'll make money too, which, which you would get is because we're assembling the cabinets as well, um, we're gonna mask them before the carcasses are on. So we're not doing this goofy <laughs> masking tape situation. It'll be like face frame, masking tape, and then we can just push the paper in from the other side. And I think that's gonna save a little bit on the masking time too, but. I love that idea, like all of it. I mean, you, that's business. Like you're adding a ton of value to your client because of your unique value proposition, right? Like you can do those things. They get a great deal. You still make money. And like the next step is now charging a premium for that same service, right? Right, which which I, now we know, I didn't know we could do uh, a cabinet grade finish before a couple months ago. Now I know we can do that um, in a job site, no less. Now it's like, all right, now can we do it on an unfinished cabinet? Because I've never done an unfinished cabinet that, I mean, I've done like vanities and stuff, but I've never done a whole kitchen. So that'll be the next thing. And does it make sense to, I'm, I'm torn between spray the doors on site or rent a booth. So we'll see. If you have the space to do it on site, it's not, I know lots of guys that, uh, but space is everything and having the right the rack system, you know, you need a good rack system. Um, yeah. I might need to make one of those or buy one of those. I do a third fast rack tower coming in there. They make a very robust tower for cabin. Yeah. What's that like it? $1,500 or something. $1,300 per rack. Oh, oh, you kill me. Rack with heavy doors and it doesn't sway. 
and fast track equipment is on here. <laughs> Why don't you hook me up? <laughs> um, I'll give you six hundred dollars right now. <laughs> I've found that why I love fast rack is how robust. Uh, I mean, he builds everything so over the top that you know because he's a former painter. He's not a business guy. There's a couple other companies I won't name that make products for racks that it's like so underbuilt, but it's a half the price. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to use these all the time. And when I put my doors on them, I don't care if it's a big like uh, pantry door, it's not going to bend that thing down. And mm -hmm. when I go, most importantly, when I go to move that full rack around my shop, we, no one's worried about things breaking or falling off or it's built to be able to be moved when fully assembled. Um, so what you're saying is you paid like $200 for that rack. <laughs> I it would honestly like fast rack. I can't put a value on their product. What? I mean, I made the video the other day. Like if I didn't have them, I don't know what we would do. Is the fast rack system. It's also the one I see you moving like into the trailer with these doors and stuff that their door systems specifically is there's nothing like it there are a number of cabinet tower racks that are on varying degrees of quality there's nothing like fast rack we're i mean i was able to load probably 800 pounds worth of doors into the trailer by myself yeah and not damage them not damage them and then <laughs> transport them you know actually they got damaged on site today the DC, the, the carpenter was installing them. They had, we had three of them on the rack, and he took one off. Rack was like really solid. He, they took the next one off out of the middle. So there was one 250 pound door on the very, very end down by the water by the ocean, and the wind blew, caught <laughs> not on Instagram, so it's okay. I'll tell you. He called me up so disappointed. He's like, ah, Worse. So the racks are awesome, but you do have to like balance them. Right. Yeah. Don't leave them on the beach. <laughs> yeah. When you're near the beach and there's 40 mile an hour winds. But other than that, like you can leave a 400, like a 300 pound door can be put on the very end of that teeth. And it's completely stable. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal system. We got a job, um, we've got 30, uh, maybe 20 doors to paint in the basement. And we've been having the whole debate of like, are we spraying them on the hinges? Because it's, you know, like in a basement, you've kind of got soffits everywhere. So every, we're just going to end up ruining all of our walls if we move the doors. But at the same time, it's it's always kind of an overspray nightmare if we're spraying them on, in the door opening. So got to got to mull that one over. <laughs> You gotta rent the. You gotta rent. Get a big shop, a lot of overhead. Mm. Get a big spray booth. Yep. Yep. And then figure out how to fill it. That's what I did. That's that's the way to go. <laughs> oh, the crazy. I'll call it ZK painting. <laughs> Are there guys that you can rent booth space from? Uh, one buddy of mine has a booth. Uh, two guys I know have booths. Um, I, I, neither of them have given me pricing on what they would charge for it. And um, it's, it's sort of, uh, the, the, the job has enough space that I'm like, eh, you know, we got like 
we can put four air scrubbers in there and kind of makeshift it. It's more, I'm more worried about the air I'm pulling in uh, being an issue. And I've seen, I've seen you do sort of like dust walls with filters on them. And maybe we'll do that. To also, steal that idea. Take two of those fans and blow air, like push air in, like filtered HEPA air. Mm -hmm. We'll just blow that in. That's what we've been doing that more often. Uh, Phil did on the last one where one of like the, the little build, the, not the build cleans, but the, the dry, the, the dries that guy's outside the booth and he's exhausting clean air into the booth. And then you can use any fan to exhaust air. You can use the cheap, like we'll use the cheaper few hundred dollars with our two to suck the air out through some pre-filters. Uh, but you have to make sure you're exhausting outside into the house. Little effects of paint are still getting through filters. But I, I think that's a great idea. And you like what I did was I built those so many times that eventually I was like, well, I've built 14 of these temporary booths. I guess I should get a <laughs> Right. You know, it's like, I think I can pay for a booth by just not having to set up, clean up a booth every time. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's that's probably a great way to go about it is to do it on site. You can build one pretty easily. Yeah, I think that's – we'll start. We'll do – if we if it looks like this is a thing for us, which I think it will be, um, if, it, you know, is is finishing all our own stuff, then I think probably a booth would be would be the next move because then we can we can do – you know, all our doors and all our parts and stuff off site and just sort of clean up the job site. Cause that's another thing is just hoarding stuff on the job site all the time is a little bit irksome. I also know a guy in Colorado who has a big trailer that he brings to the site and sprays out of. Um, actually, um, Mike from Fast Equipment, um, he used to do that and he was telling his, his trailer at one time, I don't know if he but he took, he's in like Wisconsin, I think it is. So you can drive a 24-wheeler around. I don't know how I would do that in Rhode Island. But you could, like, I know you could consider just getting an enclosed trailer and sort of making a spray boot on site. I like that idea. Huh. I'm, I'm thinking I need, like, a country house that I just redneck it up and it's just, like, trailers and <laughs> all, like, miscellaneous vehicles there because... Uh, where I live, it it ain't happening. Real estate's too much of a premium to like. I'll just put this empty spray booth trailer here till I need it. <laughs> yeah, that's another. I didn't. So you work your your shop is your garage, right? It is. Yeah. And I. That's another reason I'm I'm trepidatious about um, buying tools too because, uh, you know, I've got to store them in in what little space I have, and it's like wood shop also. We do a lot of supply of materials, so there's like toilets in there and doorknobs, and it's it's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> it adds up fast. <laughs> exactly. So you go through a lot of square footage. So back to the country home idea. Is it tough to find shop space around you? Um, it's not it's not tough per se, but um, it's just an overhead that I, I have trouble justifying because I would need to grow the business to really have someone working there at least one person working there full time. And I would say a shop this similar size to what I have out there, it's probably, you know, 
in the two thousand dollars a month range. So it it would it would hurt a little bit, you know. So I'd have to have it producing, and um, I'm kind of uh, overhead averse. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> grown into our overhead now. And it, when I was three people and they had the same overhead, very, very not profitable. Um, now I have nine people, still not profitable because we're training apprentices, but you know, the future looks at least. Um, but I did, I, I'm, but I'm a painter, but I did, I rented this shop and put the booth in and it sat for months while I was like trying to sell it full. And even for a long time, it was, you know, you might do a project in it and then it would sit for a month. And um, only finally now it's, it's like chicken or the egg. It's like you have to have it to sell it. Yeah. So when are you going to be able to do that? So, you know, in my experience, it's like, just get it, you'll have it. Again, for me, it offered a competitive advantage to a GC to go, hey, I, I can take, we can do a project, like we did one in Boston, in a high-rise, really expensive uh, place, and, you know, it's packed in. So I'm like, hey, I can take all the doors out of here. And the GC was like, yeah, please. <laughs> you know, that we were able to offer that. I, and I had an idea, like, that would make me special if I could take off. Same with cabinet doors, like, I can refinish a kitchen and not take up new house and then marry those together because they're sprayed with the same exact equipment. Uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. So the the country shop's going to happen, I think. I see it. It's, it's on the horizon. It just might be a, a next year thing. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. How big is your shop? I, I I want everyone to get a booth. It's like the great, it is a ton of money and it's insane, but if you can keep it busy, it's so nice. The amount of time we take to set up and clean up is nothing. And yeah. We, I mean, I built many, many spray booths. Um, yeah, I imagine it's nice too to like have your, you know, I feel like there's, there's certain, I don't know, just like, moving the unit around setting it up connecting it to air cleaning it out like just that's that's where i lose money on a sprayed finish versus um having having that just set up it would be so much easier to just make a quick repair um but well a but, broken dream <laughs> a very smart uh this i used to have this well the first shop i ever had shop was a empty tractor trailer carcass sitting in like a field kind of thing near a building with shops Nice. Uh, that I rented to store all of my random junk that I had. And there was this custom wood guy and he was, he specialized in arches and that was his thing. Like he, people came to him for crazy stuff and he would see me building these elaborate jigs to do one project. And he, he I'll never forget. He came up and he's like, look, build a temporary jig five times. And then the sixth time build a real one. But he's like, you're going to build this insane jig. I was building a, a steam box to strip um, old windows to get the glazing out. And I was like overbuilding this thing like it was going to sit and produce year round or something. Right. He's like, dude, you're going to use that one time and never again. 
why don't you chill out on your over-engineering? I, I have, like, taken that to heart. And it's like, yeah, make 15 spray booths and then eventually go, okay, I'll buy one. Yeah. It's a great piece of advice. I like it because I think it's – especially, um, you know, we're always – part of what gets us into this business as business owners, I feel like, is this, like, um, childlike optimism that tomorrow will be a better day. And, um, you know, it's so easy to be like, yeah, I need a spray, spray booth. We sprayed one kitchen. Obviously, this is the right choice. And they're like, how much is it? Oh, yeah, it's at least 10 grand. And then you got rent on it. Uh, yeah, that seems like it makes sense for me right now. Is How much did you make on that kitchen? Negative $8,000. <laughs> exactly. I just bought a track saw to cut one table in half. <laughs> I, put, I literally, I was like, I've been wanting a festival track saw. I, we have no business owning a festival track saw. No business. But I have this 14-foot-long conference table that I built that I need to cut in half because no one's going to buy a 14-foot-long table. Hmm. I was like, well, that's the perfect excuse to go buy a track saw. <laughs> Bought the track saw that day. It's been sitting, table's not cut. And it's like, maybe I didn't need the track saw. <laughs> but you wanted the track saw. But, and it had been in, like stirring in the back of my mind for long enough that my brain was like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I, I have to call sometimes and I'll be... Actually, I called, I was ordering the track saw. And then I was like, you know what? I, I gotta get the right details on that. I, I'll call you back. <laughs> and I bought myself like four hours. And then I drove to a store I knew would actually have it in stock and bought it. That's how you know it's an impulse buy where you're like, I can't wait for shipping. Must get it now. <laughs> I'm going to the book to get you the code. I need to go get it. Oh. Um, <laughs> But that, that's the kind of stuff, at least I do it on a smaller scale. The $30,000 booth was like <laughs> a little nuts. Yeah. But I've had a lot of success and I like, like to rise to the occasion. You know, I, I do tend to like put myself into a corner and have to like fight my way out of it, you know? Well, that was me. That was me with the Kremlin too. Like we could have done that job with Lazarus's paint equipment. Or my paint equipment. He had a painting company, and I had a painting company. But you put those two together, and somehow we need a Kremlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it feels good. And like guys like us, like we'll we'll figure out how to like do something with it at some point. Oh yeah, I mean it hasn't rested. I smashed it with a door the other day, broke all the gauges and everything off of it. Damn nope. thing's way too top heavy. <laughs> Yeah, they're not, they're not like the most ideal set, the way they're like racked. Yeah. I think, but. Don't like, leave that out on the beach either. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't stand it up. Lay it down. <laughs> but like to that point, I think in business, I've done a lot of that. And it's like, you just keep doing it and like one in five things will catch, right? And yeah. And then you like that's a business is like the risk we're comfortable with yeah and you can't beat yourself up about the bad ones because because the, there's good ones in there <laughs> yeah you wouldn't find them if you weren't trying stuff yeah if you were if you were panicked about it it's 
And that's, it's so much fun. It's fun to run out and get a track saw with, it's almost like gambling. You're like, this could be it, honey. This is it. <laughs> it is like gambling. <laughs> it's sick, but you know, I don't, I couldn't do it any other way. No, me neither. All right. Um, so we have some other, what do you have a, like a DIY tip? Um, doesn't have to be just painting, but is there like something, I mean, and you have a whole page full of sort of this, I guess. Well, it's like, what's the main thing if someone's going to try to do their own project that you're just like, avoid this, this thing. Okay. Um, I would say avoid trends if you can. Like, I, I feel like, um, there's a lot of, you can really carbon date a renovation based off of what year it was done by people who are following the people on the cusp of the trend a little bit too closely. And um, I find that's a waste of your money because those are the things you're gonna be ripping out in, in five, 10 years. So what's the point of doing a really nice paint job on this you know, S-shaped soffit that was really cool in you know, whatever, 2021 um when it's coming out so i would i think there are some uh well-worn roads of of design and and you know if you're a homeowner and you're trying to navigate design i feel like one of the things i run into with that is they're like i like this backsplash and they put all of these hodgepodge things together and it looks horrible and you know, just like, just cool your jets. Your house will be cool enough with one cool element. Don't, don't, you know, cram them all in. Do you work with designers a lot? I do. Cause yeah, as the, the scope of the project is so big, it's like, you might as well actually have someone put this whole plan together. Or what are your thoughts on designers? Um, so most projects I have, have a designer on them and it's really, uh, to, to help hold the customer's hand through the, the sheer volume of decisions. Um, you know, a good example would be, um, if you want to go with painting would be, all right, you've got the color of paint, um, the amount of walls that are going to be different colors, the sheen, the, are you doing accents? And you can do that with everything. Okay. I like this tile. Well, do you want that tile on all surfaces? How big are the grout joints? What's the pattern? How wide's the grout joint? How, what type of grout are we using? What color of grout are we using? Are we using the same grout on that wall as we're using on the floor? And like, um, I think clients often underestimate uh, the, the sheer volume of decisions they're gonna make. And um, if a customer is a lot sort of, when, when people do see the sort of designs we do and stuff we facilitate um, and they trust us, it becomes so much easier for them because we're bringing three good ideas to the table and they can give their feedback on that versus like the whole world of ideas. And then when, when they have that and you dump all of these things, we're gonna need like grout colors and this, these specific things that go into bathrooms and kitchens, it's pretty overwhelming. So it, for me, it's more about um, shielding myself a bit from the amount of hours that go into that because it's it's hard for me to keep on top of the managerial and logistical stuff that are going on and making things happen if i keep that design although 
the current project that Kitchen were doing, it we did the design in house. So we'll, that's another um, another new thing we're doing where um, all of that was done by us. So we shall see how that goes. <laughs> Are you What's that? Are you the designer? I'm not actually. I'm I'm helping, but my wife designed it. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with it. So uh, we'll see. Does uh, Tyler do that as well? Does his wife from um? Doesn't his I, wife this I don't know. I think she has. I think she has a lot of good ideas. But I know he also works with a lot of designers as well. So I imagine. I, I imagine she's, you know, busy. <laughs> you worry about um, like alienating designers when you offer it as well. I've heard people like, like debate whether or not offer like design because once you kind of go design build, then it's like harder to work with designers maybe because you offer that. Well, is that something you've experienced? Um, yes and no. So there's always going to be a push pull. But I feel like good architects recognize that I'm not a threat to them and good designers understand what value they bring to the table. And um, certainly um, what my wife and I can do, or if we bring in another designer, which is a potential um, thing we're looking at, uh, there's limitations to what we're able to do. And I, certainly I don't think, um, you know, that would limit me at all because we're not really a threat when it comes to like these high end customers. Um, you need a high end designer who is going to select those finishes and is comfortable working within that realm. And there are certain things that I'm really comfortable with. It's pretty high end, but um, the job I'm working on, uh, the designer, you know, went and picked out special wallpaper, all, all these finishes, went through a lot of different options. And that's just beyond what I'm willing to do ever in the company right now. So, um, you know, <laughs> so I, I think not is a long yeah, answer. It's like a, it's a cost effective option to, to give the client more value. But if they're, if their budgets at a certain point, then having a, a, a separate designer is beneficial then. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of conversations with clients about, We'll, we'll facilitate the design if your taste aligns with ours. Um, but uh, I work with an architect who only does contemporary stuff. And I would never take a stab at that because that's, it's not my world. I can, I can do it and I love the way it looks when it's executed, but I don't know how to get to that vision. So you'd be wasting your money paying me to do it. So it's sort of, these, these clients are my wife and I's age. They have our taste. Um, we agree a lot on stuff very easy for us to do it um other customers not so much and and even that just has to do with age even like i would rather have an older designer work for an older clientele because they're going to have a better vocabulary of and and meet these people where they're at a little bit more like you don't want this like yeah you know, hip person trying to do this like retirement house it's not going to work yeah there's a lot to be said like i I really enjoy working with designers and it's once you start working with them, you start to like really miss when they're not around because it's like, it, again, it takes some of that responsibility off. Like I'm not responsible for drilling the holes in the cabinets. I am also not responsible for the color of the cabinets. 
Mm -hmm. I know how to, I'm staying in my lane. And if you don't like the color, it's not, I didn't like guide you to that color. Um, I, I get like, now I get like, I, I can be like, well, I work with some really good designers and here are some colors that they've been using. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told that client, this is a $40,000 kitchen, like, you know, and then she wants to do a bunch more like stuff, like crazy amount of gloss. Like you're starting to look at such a large price point that I think paying for a color consultation is probably worth it. But mm -hmm. some people are like, I do not like, no, I'm going to choose like I'm my own designer. And those are the ones where I'm like, Oh man, like I miss having the designer just be responsible for all that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's also a, a good designer has, has conviction too, which is a, which is like a learned skill. Like there's always that apprehensive as a, as a painter, as a contractor, like I know these custom, these colors look good based off experience versus a good designer's like dove white, hundred percent, you won't regret it. And usually they believe them and they like the color and that's the end of it where we're like, do, do you like it? Like as you're rolling it on super apprehensive. <laughs> They're talk about this. They're they're the really good sommelier, yeah. awesome story that makes the wine taste so much better. Versus like we're like the level one sommelier that's like <laughs> we're like I'm getting grapes. Smells like alcohol. <laughs> you like alcohol? It smells like it came from the Franzia region. <laughs> Yeah. I also like that designers, I've always told clients like designers, because they speak the language and they, they eat, sleep and breathe it. They can with more conviction, like you said, like take risks and they're comfortable because they know the language and they know how it's going to go. They're like, yes, you can go, go with the dark Navy blue over here. Mm -hmm. It's going to work with the rest of it where they get, I've seen them give clients the confidence to go a little bit bolder mm -hmm. where, if they didn't have that designer that could tell you, like you said, like this is gonna look good, you people might be a little bit more conservative in their color choice. Yeah, and I think, I think that's such a an important important part of it. Like uh, Amanda's down here; she's working with me on that Malaysi job, and um, like I I hired I recommended her as a designer, and I recommended Rosario as the architect. And they were both like, I like curated the whole job with existing customers, but like I picked Amanda because I knew she, um, she would like get the customers where they needed to be to, to make the project come out the way it needed to, because the clients had like a more, a uh, little bit of a modern taste, but they moved into a, uh, a Victorian house and they're sort of like caught, caught and not sure what to do with the furnishings. And she's like, she's got the confidence to like, this is the right decision. I'm I'm 100% sure of it. Whereas if I walked in there, it it I wouldn't be 100% sure of it. Like the wallpaper, she picked like this like blood red trim. It's not blood red, but it's red red trim and wallpaper in the whole dining room. I couldn't in a million years suggest that yep. to the customers. And it's gonna look so so good. It's gonna look epic. But it wouldn't have happened if. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't even thought it was possible to suggest that. That's why I love designers because you just, when a, a good designer finishes a project and we did the painting, it's just like, oh man, this feels, it's like the whole thing is different. Yeah. It, like these pieces that don't necessarily fit together. Um, 
I, I was on a project that we were just wrapping up a couple of days ago. And we they had a the, the beam sat down from the ceiling like two inches and it's it's drywalled or plastered. And it goes across. But then the same beam must come down one of the walls and it sits out two inches. So what we ended up having was when you looked at the ceiling, that beam that came across and the beam that came up, it was like, well, do we paint this? If we paint this whole ceiling beam ceiling paint and not the little two inches, the wall paint, well, then that's going to die into not a flat wall, but it's going to die into like at two inches of wall. And so do we take the wall paint all the way up? And if so, it's, so we ended up you miter it, <laughs> and but I was able to time the designer, real two seconds. Hey, designer, this is what we did. Do you think it's a good idea? She said yes. That's what I want. And you're like, ah, oh, done. Yeah, that's a client. Like that's a whole hem ha back and forth. I don't really know, and you know, then I'm half responsible for it. Where it's like designers, like yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. Moving on. Yeah feels good exactly. to, like not be responsible for that stuff oh it's amazing yeah it's so good awesome all right do you have a favorite piece of usually we ask for paint paraphernalia but like any type of tool that has to do with business uh, a, a product anything around what we do what's your favorite like piece of it of what we do like a a a like a tool a tool or a product or a tool or a product Hmm, 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 hmm. A favorite tool or product? You would you prefer it to be painting specific? No, because you're oh. you're a GC. Let's let's hear. It could be anything. Um. Oh, this is, this is so hard to pick just one. <laughs> I want to say, um. What is my favorite thing? I don't know. I'm I'm struggling here on this one. There's too many good ones. I guess I guess a label maker. <laughs> That's what I, I was guessing. <laughs> I I bought a label maker probably after watching you, and it's sat in the box for a solid eight months now. So now that I'm saying this, hopefully I'll bring it from my house to my shop, and my team will start to use it. Make How it do you happen. What's that? How do you use your label maker? Uh, I mean, I pretty much, uh, everything's got a spot and everything's got a label on it. And that's, <laughs> and if it doesn't have a spot, then, you know, there's a problem there. <laughs> that, that is a goal that I'm going to set for myself and our company. I think I have enough team members, like we should be able to achieve that at some point. Everything have a spot. Yeah, and then, but it's okay to have like a spot where things go that don't have a spot, but that has to be labeled as this is where things go that don't have a spot. Not like these are returns to Home Depot. No, that spot needs to be labeled as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that, but I'll start with a really big miscellaneous pile. That's fine. Slowly chip away at the miscellaneous pile. But if you're trying to hold your employees accountable, it's like, why is there this pile of garbage here? That pile goes in the pile that's labeled garbage. <laughs> I, so I'm missing a festival drill. I don't have an, any idea where it is. And I'm like, these are the symptoms of my organizational skills. Mm -hmm. um, 
Chris Polidoro, who I'm having on Friday, runs – his shop – look, literally his shop is – has a downstairs to it where it's like three Sherwin-Williams worth of product at his shop, and everything has a label maker. He's got like 80 painters. And he's got barcodes on everything. And he'll barcode out his ladders to jobs. He'll barcode out putty to a job. And one guy, he pays a guy full-time to stay in the shop and just manage stuff going in and out. Wait, what does this guy do? He's a paint contractor. In, uh, he would service your area probably. Um, like Westchester County and New York City. Um, he's another master certified painter. Uh, they do amazing paint jobs. Really? But they do like all the Greenwich, Connecticut stuff. Um, he's got a facility that, like, you walk in there and you're like, you have more of everything Sir Williams has in stock right now, and it's all barcoded. Do they and, mix stuff? Um, I think he does mix some of his own paint. Um, wow, it's just so impressive to see. Like, he'll do like ladder like inventory day, and there'll be like. 50 step ladders out in the parking lot being like barcoded in and you're just like but how else do you run 80 painters right i i, I guess that's the only way it, it like boggles the mind whoa yeah this i get so inspired by that that's i that's thought incredible <laughs> um he'll be on on friday it's shoreline painting oh um, i've heard of that company yeah they're no joke all right, so I have one more question for you. All right. What is your most embarrassing moment in business? A, a, something that happened, some crazy thing. I painted the wrong house one time. Uh, oh, I'll probably like suppress what the really most embarrassing was. No, so I've been able to like pull out some deep, dark secrets from people. Mm. So one was Nick Slavic told us a story he'd never verbalized in his life. Um, he actually dropped paint. I'm going to tell everyone because he's such a stand-up guy. But early, early in his career, he was doing side work. He spilled paint on a carpet, couldn't get it out, and moved a chair over the top of it to cover it. And it's hot ever since. I like it. So um, I, I, did, I did once. This was working for my previous boss, but it was like a Lowman's shoe store. So it was like all these aisles of shoes. And I was like holding a cup bucket that was way too full of course and i'm painting this beam we we're just like punching it out and they were opening the next day and like the job supers walking up and down each aisles and i'm just like eavesdropping as i'm touching up and i look down and i'm just dumping paint on the floor so he like walks past and i whip my shirt off and just throw it over it and i'm just painting shirtless and they just walk right by me <laughs> but i think that one of the more embarrassing ones, even though we didn't get caught for it, was, um, uh, you know, the 2P10 glue, the CA glue is kind of like super glue. Yeah. So we uh, were using that and we left the bottle on its side on a drop cloth over a Persian rug. And um, I'm like, all right, let's clean up at the end of the day. It was Charlie and I, and we fold the thing and it's like, <laughs> we can't get it off the floor. So I like, got under there with a Stanley knife and kind of cut it back. And um, then the uh, Charlie was like looking out the window. He's like, they're coming. So I'm like fading the carpet out. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we got away with it. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Not, I mean, it looked it looked passable. It was it was a bruiser rug, you know, probably Macy's or something. It wasn't a real wool rug. That's what I tell myself to help myself sleep at night. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I never got a call back on the job. I was very glad about that about eight years ago now. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I have to thank you for coming on. This has been awesome. Oh, dude, it was the pleasure was all mine. I learned so much from you. You've definitely helped my business get to the next level. So I really appreciate everything you've done for the trade and for me. Yeah, same thing. Same thing here, man. My organization, you inspire me to get organized, which in and of itself um, is huge. Well, I'm glad to come and help you out. I uh, I got a bit of an affinity for it, but. Uh... <laughs> Well, you have an open invitation anytime you want to take the trip up to Rhode Island. We'd love to have you. I'll just like show up there and I'll be like, dude, so we'll put these labels here. You don't mind if I spray these doors really quick? <laughs> no, bring a cabinet job up. Use the booth for free and we'll get your expertise and you can help with the workflow. I like it. Maybe I'll take you up on that. <laughs> You'll be like, this guy's a horrible painter. <laughs> we'll bring Lazarus with you. All right. I'd be like, I'll like have a whiz roller in the booth. Like, why is he using the booth? Why did he come here? <laughs> you get the better finish in the booth. <laughs> it's all for the gram. Just uh, yeah, exactly. See what hacks we actually are. Great. All right, brother. Well, this is a pleasure. And uh, thanks for everything you do. Hey, thank you. See you later. See you later, buddy. All right. That was awesome. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, if you don't follow Zach at Detmore101, um, he's an incredibly entertaining follow. Probably my favorite follow on Instagram. I laugh every day at his stories. The guy's got an unbelievable take on everything. He's so over-the-top goofy. Excuse me. And he also has, you know, a ton of really valuable content. If you go back and can find the post where he shows his work van, he, he goes to like conventions and shows off the work van. It's like a famous organized van at this point. Um, some of you might have seen it, but if you haven't, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, again, thanks for coming. Friday, we have the legend, the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Polidoro from Shoreline Painting. He missed us on the last one, but he assures me he's gonna be here on Friday. And we're going to learn how he took his dad's like million dollar company and grew it to where it is today. Um, so stay tuned for that. Thanks guys.